Well, we are in the middle of our series, Classic. Everybody say classic. And we've been talking about what does it look like to have a classic love life, to have a love that would stand the test of time. You know, classic really means to uh, stand the test of time. Up here with me, I've got all the different old music players. We've got the old radio. Inside, there's an old record player. And then the cassette tape player. How many of y'all remember cassette tapes? Come on, somebody. Some of y'all are still using cassette tapes. And then we got CD players. Then we got the iPod. But songs that stand the test of time, they move with technological advancements. So no matter uh, what changes with technology, a song that's really good, that's classic, is going to last through time. It's going to pass the, the, uh, the stand the test of time. The opposite of classic is what? Contemporary. Contemporary is good. I love contemporary. But the only problem when it comes to love is contemporary is temporary meaning it's constantly changing. We want to have love that will stand the test of time. So today, if you'll stand up on your feet, if you have a Bible or don't have a Bible, stand on up. We're going to stand for the reading of the Word, and we get loud when we open up the Word. So turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love to bless you with one at the end of service right down here at the altar, but we are going to have all the scriptures up on the screen right here behind me. So We've been going through the story of Ruth. Ruth is one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. Not, not the greatest, but one of them. Obviously, the greatest love story is between Jesus and his church, the bride, us. But this story found in the Old Testament is a story about two women who had to make a decision to move forward despite what had happened in their past. And last week, we, we talked about what we can learn from Ruth chapter 2. The previous week, we talked about what we can learn from Ruth chapter 1. This week, we are in Ruth chapter 3. It's a very interesting part of the story. It gets really intense here. And I had some people ask me, Paul, can we do what Ruth did in Ruth chapter 3? Here's the thing. Not everything in the book of Ruth needs to be 100% copied. Some of it is kind of wild and Old Testament cultural uh, things. There's something like you can't marry your cousin. Even though you live in Oklahoma, you just can't do that. Now, in the Old Testament, they would marry cousins, brothers, and sisters. I know that sounds weird, but in their culture, there wasn't very many people. So they had to, they had to go with what was left, you know, what was there. You can't do that. So, and then there's some other things that happen in this story that are kind of wild and crazy. And I just I want to say, let's take the principles, the good truths. There's always good truths in every book of the Bible we can take. But uh, obviously, there's some things in there that you may not want to copy exactly from the text in your love story. Let's go. Are you at Ruth chapter 3? Verse 1, it says, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you so you can have a happy life? See, Naomi was a matchmaker. I want to give it up for all the matchmakers in the room. All the moms and grandmas and even me and Ashley, we love to matchmake young adults. Tell them, hey, I got someone for you. There's somebody on the fourth row. If you just turn around, you, your wife might be in the room. Your husband might be here. But Naomi said, Ruth, it's time. I got someone for you. You remember that guy, Boaz. Isn't Boaz a close relative? The one with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up, and go to the threshing floor. Hold up. Hey, if you get offended by this, send an email to the Bible because God wrote it. But don't let him know that you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. 
When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and go there. Lie at his feet. Let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, okay, if you say so, I'll do it. She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Everybody say, love is a verb. Love requires action requires action. You know, today the title of the message is Seize the Day. Seize the Day. And I want us just to look at what happens next, and we're going to kind of summarize it. Basically, Ruth does exactly what Naomi told her. And Boaz looks at her in verse 10. He says, God bless you, my dear daughter. What a splendid expression of love. You could have had your pick of all these other young men around, but listen, dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. You're a real prize. Listen, I am a close relative to you, but there's one even closer than I am. He will have his chance, but if he isn't interested, as God lives, I'll do it. Now, go back to sleep until morning. Good thing was Boaz was a gentleman. He didn't do anything that night. He was going to wait until marriage. And later on in the morning when she woke up, he gave her all this extra food and said, listen, I want you to take this back to Naomi. I want to bless you as you wait for what happens next. In verse 18, Naomi looks at Ruth when Ruth gets back home, and she says, sit back, my dear daughter. Relax until we find out how things will turn out. That man isn't going to fool around. Mark my words, he's going to get everything wrapped up today. (sighs) What does this mean for you and for me? Well, it doesn't mean single ladies that you're meant to go and lie down at the bed of the man that you think you're supposed to marry. But there are some things that God's called you and I to do. That if we miss the moment, if we don't seize the day, we could miss out on the miracles that God has in store for us. So we're going to take this word, we're going to apply it in our lives, and how does it look to build a classic love story? How do we seize the day to make sure that our love lives and and the things that in our lives that we need to work on are being dealt with, that we're seizing those opportunities, and that we're starting today to work on who we're called to be, what we're called to do, and to fulfill God's plan for our lives. Everybody say, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive. Because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me. And I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Lord, we thank you that we have victory this morning. God, that we have the joy of the Lord, that it is our strength, that we have peace, we have victory, we have healing. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Touch every person, new, old, young. God, those who've been here for years, those who are here for the first time today, that we would leave refreshed, encouraged, challenged, renewed. And Lord, that our eyes would be set on you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. All right, give someone a high five as you're being seated. Say, be classy, be classy, be classy. I want to give a big shout out to a married couple in the room, Vern and Norma. Would you stand 64 years of marriage? We celebrate you. We salute you. He is a World War II veteran. Come on. 64 years. We are honored that you are part of this church, part of this body. Vern, thank you for serving our nation, sacrificing for our nation, a World War II vet sitting in the fourth row every week here at Victory, serving here, loving on people. 
And, you know, I get excited looking around the room at couples who have stood the test of time, who have a classic love story. This is God's plan for all of us, you know. I think about how every one of us in this room has things we've got to do, decisions we've got to make. We have to be active, proactive. Love is a verb. It's not a passive noun. It makes decisions. It seizes the day. I remember when I was getting ready to propose to Ashley, I had bought the ring. It was in my room. I was holding on to the ring. It had been a couple months since I had bought it. And I was just dragging my feet. I was just kind of not sure when I was going to do it. I knew she was the one I was supposed to marry. I had heard God tell me, you're going to marry this girl. And when I say I heard God tell me, I felt the peace in my heart. You know, it wasn't like he wrote it on the sky. Some of y'all are waiting for him to write it in the sky or to audibly shout at you, this is the time, she's the one, go and do it, you know, all those things. But I just knew there was a piece of my heart. I knew God had, had put Ashley in my path. I was supposed to seize the day. Problem was, I was procrastinating. I was kind of just waiting and, and not really sure when I was going to do it. And my dad looked at me and said, Paul, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? Why don't you make your move? Why don't you seize the day? And I said, Dad, I don't know. I guess I'm just enjoying the single life. I don't know. Maybe I just enjoy being a bachelor or, you know, doing all the things. And, but I said, well, why, why are you waiting? Do you feel like you're, you're supposed to be waiting? And I said, no, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm not making the move that I need to make. And he said, well, did God speak to you? I said, yes. And he said, well, seize the day, seize the day. And so I kind of had to wait. I was, I was about to turn 24, and I was kind of just, I, I really had no reason to keep on waiting. I was just waiting for no reason at all. I had the ring. I was ready to do it. But like I said, I was dragging my feet. And I remember coming into church. I was shaking hands over there by the escalator, and one of my dad's friends, who's also a mentor to me, he came up behind me, and he slapped the back of my head, and you just like that, you know? And I was like, what's up with that? He's like, seize the day seize the day. I said, has my dad been talking to you? And he said, yeah. Paul, what are you waiting for? Ashley's the one. Seize the day. I was like, are you kidding me? And, you know, I asked my dad. He said, yeah, I was talking to her. Ashley's down here saying amen. But I remember, finally, I got the clue that it was time to seize the day, and I got on one knee and proposed to Ashley Hope. We've been married now five and a half years. Everybody say, seize the day. There's some things that are going to hold us back from seizing the day. Things that could have held Ruth back and her story from doing what she knew she was supposed to do. You need to understand the context in Ruth's story was that her and Naomi had ran out of food. At the end of chapter 2, the harvest was over. They had eaten everything there was left to eat. And Naomi kind of had a hidden agenda. Not everybody in the Bible had perfect, pure motives. Naomi was saying, Ruth, I think it's time for you to get married. But she also wanted a, a secure future for herself. She knew that if Ruth would get married, she would have a secure future of provision in her life. And she didn't want just Ruth to marry anyone and everyone. She wanted Ruth to marry a wealthy man. Boaz had some money. Now, Naomi was kind of telling Ruth, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Here's, here's some instructions. If you want to get the guy, you're going to have to step out. You're going to have to prepare. You're going to have to do some things. Make yourself available. Let him know that you're available. Ruth had to make a decision. Am I going to seize the day? To, to secure the future. I mean, Ruth knew Boaz. She knew all about him. It wasn't this weird, you know, strange relationship where they had never met. They were around each other. They knew about each other. But Ruth had to seize the day. What are some things that could hold you and I back from seizing our moments? Number one is an attitude of procrastination. An attitude of procrastination. These are toxic attitudes to relationships, to marriage. Whether you're single or married, we can all work on this area in our life. 
Procrastination is knowing what you're supposed to do, but just not doing it. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I'll get around to it. The Bible says don't put off for tomorrow what you can get done today. Don't, don't say, oh, you know, one of these days I'll do that when you know you're supposed to do it right now. Maybe in marriage you know you're supposed to apologize to your spouse. Something happened, you've just been putting it off. Maybe you're supposed to forgive your spouse. You've been kind of holding on to that grudge. You know what you're supposed to do, but you're procrastinating. Maybe as a single, you know there's some things you need to do, some habits you need to get rid of, some addictions you've been holding on to, and you're thinking, well, maybe when I get married, I'll get rid of that. No. Whatever you bring into marriage gets amplified. you got to deal with it right now. Stop procrastinating. And I'm speaking to me, too. This is for all of us. Procrastination is a toxic attitude in anything. The second toxic thing that could stop you and I from really seizing the day is a despondent attitude. Ruth could have talked about her past. Despondency means to be in despair because of what's happened to you in your past. Discouraged, disheartened. Some things happen in your past and it's holding you back from making decisions in the present. And so you live with this despondency. Man, if, if I just would have done what I should have done 10 years ago, I wouldn't be here today. Well, you can't change what happened back then, but you can change what's happening right now. Seize the day. The third toxic attitude that can hold us back from seizing the day is the blamer attitude. Playing the blame game. Well, it's her fault. It's his fault that I'm in this situation. It's, it's God's fault that I'm still single. It's, it's the devil's fault that this happened. And we blame all kinds of things. You know, I remember I was 16 years old. I just got in a car. It was kind of an old junkie car. It had lightning stripes, though, on the side, which I thought was pretty cool. And I was driving down the road to basketball practice. And we would practice at the Big Speed Champions Complex Center. And I was coming up to 101st and Memorial. And I remember driving over the hill, and, and it was kind of raining, and these cars started breaking, and I, I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm, it's not my fault. I, still to this day, I'm pretty sure it's not my fault. No, I slammed into the car. It was really bad. And my car wasn't that nice, but theirs was. And then they hit a nicer car in front of them that hit a nicer car in front of them. And so they all got out of the cars, and they're all, like, turning around looking at me. And here, like, I'm a 16-year-old, and I turn around to look, see if there's anyone else I can look at. <laughs> and, hey, it's not my fault. And they're like, it's absolutely your fault. I'm like, no, 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 no. You guys are the one to blame. They're like, listen, if you hit us from behind, it's your fault. Well, it's the weather's fault. I mean, it was kind of raining. It, it is the weather's fault. No, it's the road's fault. The road was messing with my drive. And we try to blame all kinds of things. We try to blame others. We try to blame the situations. We try to blame the devil. Don't give the devil more credit than he deserves. He is not responsible for all the bad decisions that you've made in your life. Sometimes we give the devil way more credit than he deserves. We say, well, it's the devil's fault that I ended up here. It's the devil. He made me sin. He made No, the devil can't make you sin. You sin on your own. The devil can only tempt you. You have authority over the devil. As a believer, you have power over temptation. You don't have to be overran by the devil. But the fourth one we blame is God. Right? We blame God. And I want to tell you today, God is not your problem. God's not the one that caused the pain in your life. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, God, yeah, God, God brought this pain on me. God caused me to end up in this circumstance. God brought on this sickness. I'm, it's God's fault that I'm here doing these things I shouldn't be doing today. No, no, no. We've got to stop blaming everybody else and start taking responsibility. Here's the truth. 
We will stunt our growth as long as we cast the blame. We will stunt our growth as long as we cast the blame. And so Ruth had to make a decision. I'm not going to live based off my past mistakes, my past disappointments. Ruth didn't plan on being a widow, but it happened in her life. She had to make a decision. I'm going to rise up out of despondency. I'm not going to cast the blame on everybody else here. Naomi was living bitter and upset, but Ruth decided I'm going to rise above the bitterness. I'm going to go out and work hard. I'm going to serve. I'm going to prepare for a greater future. The uh, the other thing I love about the, the book of Ruth, and catch this real quick. The book of Ruth is a story about generational unity. Ruth and Naomi, man, they grabbed arms together. Here Naomi was in her late 60s and and Ruth was in her late 20s and yet they worked together for a greater future. Church, I want to tell you, we're called to work together. We are better together. Everybody say, better together. When we're working together generationally, when 60-year-olds are working with 20-year-olds and, and, and 15-year-olds are working next to 50-year-olds, when we're worshiping together, when we're coming to church together, we are better together. We're not meant to have an adult service and then something over here for the young adults. We're meant to come all together. And I'm all about getting groups together to hang out, like youth group, young adult group. But on the weekends, we're called to come together and worship God. We are better together as a church. Ruth and Naomi had to rise above some circumstances. And I want to give you three ways they seized the day. Three ways that you can seize the day, just like Ruth and Naomi seized the day. In other words, they took the opportunities that God had brought in front of them. There's a window of time to seize the day. And before I give you these three things, I want to say this. Look for opportunities that God's bringing across your path. Opportunities relationally, opportunities in your marriage as a single, but even opportunities that maybe God has for you in in a career path. Sometimes the pathway towards God's favor can look a little bit humiliating. Sometimes it can look a little bit frustrating. Like Ruth, she had to go out and work hard. She had to serve. And here she was doing things that maybe a woman her age wasn't supposed to be doing. Those kinds of women, maybe like her, were at home and and they were taken care of by husbands. But Ruth was out there. She was working hard. Sometimes that pathway towards God's favor requires us to go into some things that are humiliating and frustrating at times. But I want to encourage you, stick with it. There's favor on the other side of your obedience. Number one, here's what Ruth did to seize the day. She lived a no-excuse life. Everybody say, no more excuses. Here, Naomi had told Ruth, Ruth, here's what you got to do. You got to go and do this. You got to prepare to succeed. A person who lives a no-excuse life prepares to succeed. You can't live with all these excuses like, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm, I'm, I'm uneducated, I'm the wrong guy, I'm the wrong girl, I come from the wrong family, I got the wrong genes, I don't feel like it. All these excuses hold us back from God's future for our lives. All these excuses hold you back from seizing the day. When I look at my grandma over here, she turns 91 on Wednesday, and grand-grand is someone I would say has seized the day. Grand-grand's on Facebook. Come on, somebody. No more excuses. I don't know how to type. I can't learn how to text. Grand Grand's sending group text messages and she's turning 91 on Wednesday. Grand Grand has decided no more excuses. Some of us are making so many excuses. Well, Paul, I just, I I didn't study the right stuff in college. I I was bad. I procrastinated. I, I can't be used by God. I can't have a healthy marriage. My family was poor. I'll always be poor. No, no more excuses. 
I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like doing the, the right thing. I don't feel like waiting for the right person. Paul, I just feel like settling. No more excuses. If you're going to seize the day and build a classic love story, you've got to stop making excuses for the habits in your life that are negative, for the attitudes that are toxic, for some of the things that you try to blame so that you can cover bad behavior. That's what blaming does. It just covers bad behavior. Try to get away with something that you know you, you're not supposed to be doing. No more excuses. Maybe you feel like you were dealt a hand that's unfair. Truth is, all of us have been treated unfair. All of us have been lied about or lied to or betrayed or hurt. Somebody's done something to us. But we've got to stop making excuses for the things in our life that need to change. Areas in our life that we need to grow in. Opportunities that we need to seize. We've got to step out and do it. We've got to be right now people. We can't live in the past and we can't worry about the future. We've got to live right now. Seize the day. And I think about a guy who, his name is Nick Wojciechek. And Nick is someone who was born with no arms and no legs. And he had a decision to make. He could have made a lot of excuses. He could have settled into mediocrity. He could have decided, man, this is it for me. But instead, Nick chose to rise above it. I want you to check out Nick Wojciechek's testimony about no arms, no legs, no limits. You know, so many people put me down and say, Nick, you look too weird and no one's really offended. You can't do this and you can't do that. And I couldn't change anything. It's not like just fixing my hair one day and everything's fine. It's not like, you know, just whatever. I couldn't change my circumstance. It was so hard because people put me down. And I started believing that I was not good enough. I started believing that I was a failure. That I'd never ever be somebody who people would like or people would accept. The choice that we have, though, is either to give up or keep on going. I want to ask you, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe in yourself? Are you going to believe everybody else's judgment on you? Are you going to believe people when they say that you're a failure? But honestly, along the way, you might fall down like this. Ready? Right? <laughs> Hello? Right? So what do you do when you fall down? Get back up. Everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. You so, so, sort of put a mask on your face when you come to school and pretend that everything's okay when it's not and you go home and lay in your bed when no one's looking at you, when you don't have to impress anybody, and you're yourself. And fear comes in. You know the fear that you have as soon as you walk into the doors of your house, maybe it's a broken home. Maybe you have doubt in your life. Maybe you don't know for sure what's going to be happening in the future, and it scares you. Maybe you're, about, maybe you're worried about what people think of you, what people say about you. It's that fear paralyzes you. And I just want to ask you today, do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up. I mean, you go home and tie the legs and arms of your brothers and, and sisters and, and like push them down and see how long it's going to take them to get back up. You know what I mean? You know, you can tell them that you'll see them tomorrow. You know what I mean? But this is the thing. It should be impossible for me to get back up. 
but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, and if I fail 100 times, if I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. For as long as I try, there's always that chance of getting up. Does that make sense? And it's not the end until you've given up. And just the fact that you're here should persuade you that you have another chance to get back up. There's still hope. I'm not here today to tell you that I understand your pain. I don't know how it feels to be abused. I don't know how it feels to feel, quote, fat and you've got an eating disorder. I don't know how it feels to have a broken home. I don't know how it feels. But I know how it feels to have a broken heart. And I know how it feels to be alone. And I want you to know that I found my strength in Jesus Christ. And you will find that strength to get back up like this. Nick is a born-again Christian, and he goes all over the world sharing his testimony of getting back up. He said, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to quit. I wanted to kill myself, he said. I, I felt like there was no purpose for my life. I, here I was born with no arms, no legs. He said, I was looking for somebody to blame. He said, for the longest time, I just couldn't believe in God. I couldn't trust in God. But he said, I decided I was going to get past bitterness. I was going to get past what people said about me, what they thought about me. And I was going to rise up and be who I was called to be. And so he has a, a book out. He's the author of a book called No Arms, No Legs, No Limits. And the whole book is talking about stop making excuses for your future. Stop making excuses for where you're at today. So that way you can walk into the future God has for your life. You know, I think Proverbs 22 verse 3 says something very important. It says that the wise see danger and they take precautions. In other words, they prepare for their future. While the simple go on blindly and they suffer the consequences. A person who looks at the future and knows I've got to prepare today to succeed is a person who lives with no excuses. Stop making excuses for where your future is headed. You've got to decide today, I'm going to have a bright future. I'm going to have a good future. I'm going to choose today. See, God can't make decisions for you. You have to make decisions for yourself. God says, my plans are for you to prosper, but you got to start sowing seeds today to see the harvest tomorrow. You say, but Paul, I've tried to seize the day. I've sown my seeds. I've done my thing. I've served. I've, I've, I've made no excuses, and I still don't see a harvest. This is what Paul told the Galatian church. In Galatians 6, verse 9, he says, don't grow weary or exhausted or tired doing what you know is right. Don't grow tired sowing the good seeds, praying for your spouse. Believe in God for a healthy marriage one day. Trying to overcome divorce that you walk through. Trying to overcome the failures that happen here. Don't get tired praying, doing the right thing, sowing your seeds. At the right time, harvest will come to your life. I want to encourage you, no matter what it looks like, that you can trust in God. As you're living a no-excuse life, God's going to come through. The second point that we need to look at to seize the day is the buck stops with me. Everybody say that together. The buck stops with me. Come on, say it louder. The buck stops with me. What does this mean? 
In the olden days, they would say, pass the buck. In other words, shift the blame to somebody else. The buck stops with me means I'm going to stop blaming everyone for the decisions I'm making in my life. President Harry Truman put this phrase on his office desk, the buck stops here. He decided he was going to take responsibility for our nation. Now, we've got to decide, we've got to take responsibility for our future. We've got to say, you know what, I'm in control of my attitude. I'm not going to put the blame on somebody else for my lack of joy. I'm not going to blame somebody else for the addiction or the stronghold in my life. It's no longer my dad's fault. It's no longer my mom's fault or what my uncle did to me 20 years ago. I'm stopping today. Uh, The buck stops with me. I'm taking responsibility for the lifestyle I'm living today. And this is something our generation needs to hear because we're really good at blaming everybody else. For our problems, our addictions, our habits. Well, it's just in my genes, Paul. This is just the way I was born. My dad did this. My grandpa did this. This is what I'm going to do. No. The buck can stop today with you. I think about Boaz. A lot of people think that the book of Ruth is all about women. But truth is, the guy in in the story of Ruth, Boaz, he was born in iniquity. He was born by a prostitute. Here he could have made a lot of excuses and and shifted the blame and said, you know what? My mom was a sinner. I'm going to be a sinner. My mom was in sexual immorality. I'm going to be in sexual immorality. Yeah, this, this is the way I was. This is the way my family's been. My mom was poor. I'll always be poor. But instead, Boaz decided to rise above it. He said, the buck stops with me. Boaz became one of the wealthiest men in his land. He became a man of integrity. His reputation was that he was a good man. He was a godly man. What did he decide to do? He said, even though I was born in iniquity, I'm going to leave a legacy of purity. I'm going to leave a legacy of purity. I'm going to leave a legacy of holiness. I'm going to leave a legacy of gentleness, of compassion. As for me and my house, I can't decide what happened in my past, but I can decide how I'm going to respond for my future. As for me and my house, the buck stops here. We will serve the Lord. For the sons in the room that are trying to hold on to what your dad did to you, it's time to stop blaming your dad for the decisions you're making today. For the wives in the room who are blaming their ex-husband for the things that you're doing today, it's time to stop blaming your ex. We've got to make decisions today to take responsibility and say, God, help me to be the man, the woman you've called me to be. I can't keep blaming everyone from my past for the decisions I'm making today. Nick had to make a decision. No arms, no legs. He could have decided no hope, but instead he decided no limits, no more excuses. The buck stops with me. I had a friend named Sean who grew up in an abusive home. His dad would take him out to the tool shed in the backyard. He would pick out all the tools, and he would handcuff his sons to the tool table, and he would beat them with tools, beat Sean and his little brother. It was an extremely toxic household. The dad was an alcoholic. He was an abusive father. The mom was constantly in and out of the house, taking drugs, taking all kinds of pills, stuff she shouldn't have been on. Sean had every right to blame whatever would happen in his future on his dad and his mom. He had every right to make excuses for the behavior and the lifestyle he would choose as he got older. But instead, Sean gave his life to Jesus Christ at age 16. And he decided, I can't change what's happened in my past. I can't do anything about the things my dad did to me or the way that my mom was. But I can decide how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Today, Sean is a youth pastor, happily married, has two kids. He's a gentle father, a loving father, lives in upstate New York, serving the Lord, loving on people, teaching teenagers they can rise above whatever's happening in their household. 
But we've got to decide today. The buck stops with me. The third thing we can learn from Ruth that she decided to do is that she held on to hope. See, Ruth made all the decisions she needed to make. She seized the day. But the last verse of Ruth 3.18, it says that Naomi told her, Now, Ruth, sit back, relax, and wait until we find out how things will turn out. In other words, hold on to hope. When you've done everything you know to do, hold on to hope. Trust that God's going to turn things around. Live with an expectancy that God is for me. God is with me. He's able to do the things that look impossible in my life. You know, I think about a woman who was in a very toxic marriage. Her husband was abusive. He would cheat on her, do all kinds of stuff. He ended up leaving her for another woman. She was heartbroken. Here she was in her 20s, just discouraged, feeling like she would never have a healthy marriage again. She had lost hope for a future marriage. But she began getting in the Word. And she started finding scriptures on faith. And she started finding scriptures on hope. And she started believing God that one day she could have a healthy marriage. Well, God brought a man into her life. When the man came in, she still was carrying baggage from her past marriage. So at first, those first few years, she described and he describes that it was like hell on earth in their house. There was pain. There was fighting. There was anger. She was still holding on to the distrust in men because of what her past husband had done. She knew God. She was reading the word, but she needed a heart change. After a few years, God really started working on her heart. Today, that woman is Joyce Myers. She has an incredible ministry. She's ministering to women in broken homes, coming out of all kinds of stuff, ministering to people all over the world. What did she decide to do? She stopped making excuses. She decided the buck stops with me, and she held on to hope for a greater future for her life. That's what we've got to do today to seize the day. I want to invite my friend Mark Kresge up here, our 3D Young Adults pastor. Mark has an awesome testimony of how we can apply this in our lives of what happened with his parents. Go ahead. When I was 17, uh, my parents had separated. My mom uh, had left with my youngest sister, left my father, our family, uh, just one day up and, and left. And uh, our family, uh, in a sense, just basically fell apart. Uh, one of five kids, we all kind of went our own way. And, you know, one day I came into my, to my home and my father was sitting on the stairs and you know, he was just in a time of prayer, and I came up to him, and he said, you know, Mark, uh, he said, God spoke to me. God, God told me, gave me a word that I'm supposed to stand for your mother. I'm supposed to pray uh, that she comes home, and he said, I was praying, and God told me this. He said, I'm supposed to stand and keep my wedding ring on and be faithful to her, even though that she's left, and I said, okay, Dad, that's, you know, that sounds cool. I, I, you know, I'm standing, believing with you, and uh, that's great. You know, the next year passed, and two years passed by, three years passed by, and you know, in this time, my dad, he just really started getting involved even much more into our local church. He taught himself how to play the drums, and he got involved in the worship. He started leading a, an, evangelistic, uh, an evangelistic team out into the streets, just telling people about Jesus. And, you know, what I love is that as he was waiting for this word to come to pass in his life, that he was waiting actively, not passively. You know, he was doing something with his life, and it was powerful. And so as he, he began to stay, he was continuing to just stand, and four years passed by, and five years passed by. And, you know, I myself, I went to my dad, I said, hey... Dad, I love you, and, you know, I really, you know, standing with you, believing with you, but, I, you know, I think it's time to let go. I think it's time that, you know, you know, mom is, is gone, and, you know, whatever. I think it's time to get on with your life. You're, you're a great guy. You know, there's, there's someone else maybe out there for you. He said, no, Mark, God gave me a word, and I'm holding on it. I'm standing on it. I'm, I'm believing for your mom to come home. I said, all right, you know, sounds good. And, you know, pastors and Christians and people would come up to him and say, hey, you know, I, th I think it's time for you to just get realistic. Maybe you didn't, didn't hear God. Maybe that just wasn't him. And he said, no, God gave me a word. I'm holding on to what God spoke to me. And 
six years, seven years, eight years. And during this time, I had moved to Tulsa here from Pennsylvania. That's where my family's from. And I was walking into the gym one day and uh, after one of our uh, Bible classes here at Victory. And I'm walking into the gym and my dad calls me. I'm standing in the lobby of the gym and he's on the other end of the line and he's just crying, just sobbing. I say, hey, dad, dad, what's up? What's, you know, what's going on? He said, hey, bud. He said, hey, your mom's home. And uh, just a powerful moment. You know, I start crying in the gym. I'm sitting there in the gym, right, trying to lift weights, and I'm, I'm, I'm bawling like a little, a little kid. Um, he's crying on the other end. We're just rejoicing, right, like right in the middle. It was awesome. And, you know, today my, my family, you know, it, God has restored every aspect, all five of my, uh, me and my siblings and my parents that God has brought them back together. And these last three to four years have been amazing to see God just restoring this relationship and uh, rebuilding this marriage uh, that once the enemy tried to steal, but God had restored because my dad was willing to just stand on a word. Even when the circumstances didn't look hopeful or good, it turned out that God was faithful and he stood on that word. So whatever you're walking through today with that, hold on to hope. Hold on to what God has spoken to you because he is faithful. Release your faith in that in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God, church.